From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where we hear from politicians and experts on the issues of the day. Next week, Anthony Albanese heads to China, the first Australian Prime Minister to go there since 2016. This follows the gradual unfreezing of the China-Australian relationship over the past year and a half, with the removal of most restrictions that China imposed on Australian commodities. The latest breakthrough is on wine, with China undertaking to review the prohibitive tariffs over the next five months. Trade Minister Don Farrell has been at the centre of the negotiations, and he will accompany the Prime Minister to China. But first, he will be in Japan this weekend for the G7 Trade Ministers meeting. While there, he'll have talks with European counterparts on the vexed issue of the proposed free trade agreement between Australia and the European Union. This is likely to be the high noon meeting for this agreement. Either it will be landed or Australia will walk away. Don Farrell joins us today to talk about trade and, in his other role as Special Minister of State, electoral reform. Don Farrell, while in Japan, you'll be meeting with your European Union counterparts in the hope that you can ink a free trade agreement. You've said you won't be signing anything unless it's in Australia's interest. What are the prospects for success, do you think? Michelle, I'm, I'm going to meet the Europeans with an open mind an optimistic uh, disposition. I was uh, forced to walk away from uh, Brussels earlier in the year when I believe that the Europeans didn't make us a good enough offer. I'm hoping that the time lapse between then and now gives them the opportunity to make us a better offer. And um, on that basis, if it's good enough, um, I'll be recommending to the Australian people that we should accept it. Now, one reason why a deal hasn't been struck earlier is that uh, the Europeans have a desire to protect product names with geographical connotations. This would restrict Australian producers from using names like feta and parmesan. Where is that up to and what other sticking points have there been? Look, they they have been difficult issues to, uh, to work with. But I I think that if we could uh, resolve the rest of the package, then I think we can resolve all of those uh, outstanding issues. I think they're capable of being resolved with a little bit of goodwill. And uh, and I'm hoping that if we can get a full package, that that we'll have a successful outcome with those names. So is the name issue still a really difficult thing to to get resolved? The name issue has not yet been resolved. I think it is capable of being resolved. But um, there's a lot of balls in the air at the moment and all of them have to land in the right spots for us to be satisfied that we've got a uh, an acceptable deal. What other things are, are still outstanding? You only have a few days. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I think the, the Europeans talk about this as the end game. And I think they sort of somehow think that everything suddenly sort of collapses and we resolve all of the issues. And I'm hopeful that that's the way it, uh, the way it ends. I, I, as I said, um, I do want a successful outcome. But um, our access to their agricultural markets is an important one. 
Well, that's always been difficult. Yeah, it's always been difficult. They have a very protectionist system. Um, in fact, one of their arguments to me is that we were so successful in our UK trade agreement that um, lots of uh, lots of their market into uh, into the United Kingdom has been taken up by Australian uh, beef and uh, and sheep meat and sugar. So. We need a better offer from them on sheep meat, on beef, and and on sugar. Again, I'm hopeful uh, that if they understand, you know, where we're coming from, and, and I'm trying to make it as clear as I can, um, that if the offer is the same as the one I got in Brussels earlier in the year, I'm going to reject it again. So it has to be a better offer. Um, at what point do you accept or reject? Well, that's that's the really hard bit. Um, and uh, of course, you know, I'll have the National Farmers Federation up in uh, in Japan. I'll have uh, the um, uh, meat and livestock, and so forth. All of those people will be up there. They've all got an interest in it. I want to consult them. But at the end of the day, my job is to make a decision on the national interest. And if, on balance, the things that are good about the European Trade Agreement outweigh the things that are bad, because there's always bad things in in agreements, then I feel I've got an obligation to the Australian people to say, yes, we'll sign this agreement. But this is the high noon weekend, is it? If you can't get a deal, that's it. Look, I think for a range of reasons, not least the fact that from this point onwards, if if we haven't got a deal, the Europeans move into their uh, electoral cycle for elections next year, And I think we will have lost the opportunity for two, perhaps three years to come back and resolve this. Now, let's turn to the China trip and the wine deal in particular. In 2019, we exported more than a billion dollars worth of wine to China. Now, uh, in 2022, we're down to 16 million, so a huge, huge fall. What kind of impact has this had on producers? They seem to have had more trouble getting alternative markets than producers for some other commodities that have been hit. And I should add that you were a wine producer and I think you still live on your old vineyard. Is that right? I do, yes. Beautiful part of the world, Clare Valley. Um, Yes. So, look, roughly 170,000 people work in the uh, the wine industry in, in Australia. It's a, it's a big employer and it's a particularly big employer in South Australia. 50% of all Australian wine comes from South Australia. 80% of premium wine comes from South Australia. And of course, uh, one of the reasons uh, sales were so high was we were selling a lot of premium wine into, uh, into China. I've seen firsthand how my neighbours in the Clare Valley um, this year uh, left um, many of their red, uh, red grape uh, grapes uh, on the vines. They didn't take them off because their vats are already full with wine from previous years that they haven't been able to, uh, to sell. We've been working really hard on this uh, on this issue. The um, Chinese knew how important it was to us. And as you've correctly said, unlike other products, we found it very difficult to find alternative markets into, uh, into say, India or the United Kingdom. Um, so this was an important breakthrough last weekend. Um, I'm going up to China with the Prime Minister next week. I always felt that by that time we would have had an indication from the Chinese that they were prepared to move on this topic. We followed identically the um, Bali dispute, so we agreed to suspend our World Trade Organisation dispute 
in return for a fast-tracked review of the uh, the tariffs. I'm confident that based on uh, all of the um, previous announcements um, of freeing up products back into China, that we're going to get there on wine. Um, it will take uh, five months. Um, I've no doubt about that. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. I think Australian producers uh, should start thinking about getting their product back into China as quickly as they can after that date at, at a zero tariff. The minister himself has confirmed to me just how much he likes Australian wine. The Chinese have got a, um, a very uh, strong palate for Australian wine and I'm confident that once we get that tariff removed, we'll get Australian wine back onto Chinese um, supermarkets and into restaurants. Now, the Chinese restrictions on Australian uh, commodities were at one stage $20 billion worth. It's now down, I think, to about $2 billion. Does that include the wine? That includes the wine, but if you exclude the wine, then we're down to $1 billion. So what's left? So what's left is um, some uh, lobster, of all things, uh, you might think. Uh, but uh, we haven't uh, been able to get uh, our lobster back in. We have found alternative markets. if you're markets. on the plane when you go, perhaps. <laughs> well, let's, let's hope so, uh, Michelle. Um, but um, we have found alternative markets for our lobster, but not at the price that the Chinese were buying. So it's a significant, uh, significant issue. And there's one or two abattoirs in Australia who, or during COVID, uh, volunteered to um, suspend their... Uh, exports because they had COVID in their abattoirs. Um, they have not yet been given permits to go back in. But again, that's just a process issue. And I think um, with a bit more push on our part, um, we'll get both the lobster and the meat back into so China. So it's nearly all done. Yeah, well, look, it's it's been a difficult uh, task, uh, Michelle. We it, it almost seemed insurmountable when we um, started this process to get 20 billion dollars worth of trade. I mean, you think about that $20 billion. It's twice our total sales to the United Kingdom. I mean, it was a large amount of money. So, um, no, we've worked, we've, we've worked hard. The Prime Minister in particular has taken great interest in uh, the progress here, as has the Foreign Minister, as has the Agriculture Minister. Um, it's been a Team Australia approach. So can you give us some insights into these negotiations that you've had with the Chinese officialdom and political system? What's been the flavour of them? Look, I ask myself, how would I like to be treated? And so I try and treat the, uh, the Chinese officials, uh, particularly Wang Wangtao, who's my, uh, my equivalent, the way I would like to be treated uh, myself. Um, as I said, he, um, he's a big supporter of, uh, personally a big supporter uh, of Australian wine. Tonight, I'm going to visit the Chinese uh, embassy and I'll be taking a bottle of my wine uh, with me just to make sure that uh, he understands just how good the Australian product uh, is. But it, it's a case of, of, of respect. China is our largest trading partner by a long way. Last year, two-way trade between Australia and China was at a record level. $299 billion. If we'd had the wine back in last year, we would have actually hit the $300 billion mark. So this is an important market for us. Um, we have to treat them, I think, with respect. We never are going to agree on a range of political issues. We're a democracy. They're, a, you know, they're an autocracy. But in a sense, we, we need one another. They need our products. They need our high-quality uh, food and, uh, and beverage. 
and uh, we need to be able to continue to sell there. So in these negotiations, not just on wine but on other things, have you mixed the informal contacts a bit with the, the formal across-the-desk stuff? Yeah, yeah. And so um, one of the reasons I'm going to the trade meeting next week in uh, in Shanghai is, well, it's the minister's own turf. He, he's uh, from Shanghai, former uh, mayor of uh, Shanghai. And you've actually, just like ordinary relations, you've, you've got to, you know, build a relationship mm-hmm. um, with your counterparts. And going to his hometown, um, I had originally hoped I was going to stay at the Peace Hotel um, on the Bund, uh, the Charlie Chaplin room, which um, he managed to restore when he was um, the, the, the mayor of Shanghai. That wasn't possible for a range of, uh, range of reasons. Um, but I'll be meeting with him. We'll renew our friendship. We've now met either by Zoom or personally three times. This will be number four. He has agreed to come to South Australia to visit the uh, the vineyards in South Australia. All of those things I help. Uh, I think help build a build a relationship of trust. Um, and hopefully, we don't get back to the situation we found ourselves, where suddenly overnight uh, Australian businesses are losing trading opportunities into China. Now, I want to change to a very, very different topic. In your role as uh, Special Minister of State, you joined the conversation uh, to discuss your objectives for electoral reform earlier in the year. Can you give us an update where that's all up to? Yeah, so um, so what happens after every election is that uh, the Special Minister of State uh, refers the uh, election outcome to the uh, Joint Standing Committee on Electoral Matters. I did that very promptly. Um, since the election, they've been looking at um, aspects of the uh, the last election, and in particular, from from my point of view, how we can improve transparency and accountability uh, at the at the next uh, the next election. I have a view that there's a couple of ways we can do that. One is by reducing the disclosure amount of uh, of money. Uh, before you have to um, disclose uh, donations. Uh, currently, it's about $16,000. We want to get that down to about $1,000. But more importantly, um, the concept of real-time disclosure, so that if you're in an election period um, and you're contemplating voting for a particular candidate, you ought to know where that candidate's getting their uh, donations from. And look, the, the reality is we've seen over the last two federal elections really, really rich Australians seeking to buy election uh, results. And I don't think that adds to democracy in this country. I think that takes away from democracy. So we're looking at things like caps, um, spending spending caps, expenditure caps. But the undertaking I've given to all of the parties, I've given it sort of privately and I, I've given it publicly, I've given it in the parliament, um, is that I want to talk to um, all of the various parties because... I think electoral reform in this country works best where you've got a consensus position. So my aim is to keep working through the JSCAM process. Um, it'll be completed by the uh, by the end of the year. Uh, and hopefully I can sit down with the political parties and the other political parties and the independents. I've already met and I had eight or nine of the independents in my boardroom the other day. But I'm hopeful that um, with a bit of goodwill, we can get a consensus on how we move forward with Australian electoral outcomes. They're worried, the independents, that you'll do a deal with the Libs and and the Nationals uh, and 
that will disadvantage new players or small players like them. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I, I don't agree with their assessment of what um, the impact of uh, uh, caps will do to the election result. In fact, in many ways, I think um, they themselves will be beneficiaries of, um, uh, of such a system. And what I, I don't think that the, the Teals quite comprehend is that the reason they were so successful at the last election is that they had um, um, Scott Morrison as Prime Minister. They had um, integrity issues to run on. Uh, and, of course, uh, they had climate change issues to run on. None of them will be in existence at the, the next election. But, look, I'll keep talking with them. Um, I've given them an assurance that, as with the other political parties, I'll talk with them. I hope they will see that caps are necessary to stop really uh, wealthy Australians buying election results. I just don't think we can have another federal election uh, where that's uh, that's a potential outcome. We're talking here about Clive Palmer. Yeah, we're talking about Clive Palmer. Um, but he didn't get much. He only got one senator. No, but he affected the um, the election outcome. I don't think there's any doubt at all that the reason um, Bill Shorten didn't win the um, the 2019 election was the more than hundred million dollars that Clive Palmer spent on that election. These people are not necessarily after political influence in the sense of having people in Parliament, what they're after is the result uh, and getting uh, a favourable result. And I just don't think um, Australians uh, want a situation where one individual can spend so much money to get a successful electoral result. What's your timetable for bringing in this legislation and will it include truth in advertising? Yeah, truth and truth and advertising is a difficult one. Um, I think um, most people would agree that getting accurate information about uh, electoral issues is an important part of our democratic process. Um, just how you do that is a more difficult uh, proposition. South Australia has um, has done that. This got debated a couple of nights ago in the uh, estimates process. Um, Senator Birmingham piped up that he didn't like the way the South Australian system uh, worked and thought it actually worked against um, free speech. But You think it's okay? Look, I think it's one option um, to think about. I don't say it's the, the perfect uh, option. Um, some of the Teals have got some of their own ideas uh, on this. And, of course, the, the other issue is who would you get to determine um, the truth or otherwise? The AEC have said that they would not be happy to do it. Um, their job is to run the election, not to monitor um, you know, arguments during the course of the, um, the election. I had quite an unusual item pop up about me personally during the referendum. I woke up one morning to discover that uh, the allegation was that I had usurped the role of the Governor-General in signing the uh, writ to issue the um, uh, the referendum. Now, that was a completely preposterous pro- proposition, but it was floating out there in the social media. And once it gets out there, Michelle, it's very hard to, um, you know, to counteract. They had a photograph of my signature on the writ document. And, of course, my signature was there because I witnessed the Governor-General um, signing the document. So I personally know um, what it's like to have these sort of allegations uh, made against you, but it's a tough one. Um, we should do something about it. It's a question of making sure that if we do do something about it, we don't truncate 
free speech in this country. I mean, that's one of the great advantages of our system. Uh, people do have the right for free speech. Uh, I don't want to truncate that, but if it's possible to come up with a, a mechanism to ensure that people are getting accurate information or have the ability to get accurate information, then I think that would be a good outcome. So you'll try and get it in the legislation? Or I, not? I'll try and have some discussions with the with the other party and uh, other parties. And if if there's a way through this, then, then uh, I'm happy to look at it. So when would you be bringing in this legislation? Okay, so the process is um, nearing an end. We've only got what, five or six more weeks before the end of the year. Um, I, I would hope that we can make some progress before the end of the year, if not very early in the new year. So a bill in either late this year or early next on, yeah, yeah. at least the donation yeah. and yeah, spending yeah. side. The, the important thing here is making sure that the um, Australian Electoral Commission has adequate time to make changes to their system. Uh, to reflect any changes in the legislation. Real-time uh, disclosure of donations is actually quite a, a big task. It rolls off the tongue pretty easily, but in fact, to be able to do that, um, a whole lot of new processes are going to have to be set up. I want to make sure the AEC has got plenty of time to do that, to trial it, and to make sure that um, it works for the next election. And so that would take probably a year or so? could take as much as a year, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don Farrell, thank you very much for talking with us today on trade and the electoral system. Good luck for your trip to China, well, and to Japan indeed. That's all for today's Conversation Politics podcast. Thank you to my producer, Mikey Burnett. We'll be back with another interview soon, but goodbye for now. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevere. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.